I've been out of the saddle for a while, uh, traveling. Sony and I were both traveling for a few weeks. So nice to see your smiling faces, most of your smiling faces. Uh, as Kwok said, uh, it was a good time, I think, encouraged faith communities uh, in the Midwest uh, where we were ministering. Thank you. Uh, I want uh, coffee. Nick's, Nick's getting me some coffee. That's his job. Um, saw a lot of encouraging things uh, in, in the Midwest. And Kwok uh, uh, said, like, we saw blind eyes get healed, which, like, that, like that's really rare for me. It's, like, really rare. And uh, deafness get cured and all sorts of other things get fixed. But uh, thanks, dude. Um, but in both the instances of, of blindness um, getting healed, I, I, I was not the one doing the ministry, right? So the best thing is that you go and you just kind of encourage communities of faith to, to be communities of faith, right? To bless one another and to kind of move in the ministry of faith, right? Um, you know, faith can move mountains. That's what we're told. Faith can do miracles. We all believe it, but... Like, uh, like working a muscle, you got to practice it, right? And then it gets bigger and stronger, and faith is the same way. And so it is sort of activating people to do the ministry that Jesus called us to do in the world. And then I would, like, do that, and then I would just kind of sit back and, like, watch these things happen around the room. That's the best part. I forget that. Did I... I might have told this story last night or the night before at the Holy Spirit retreat. I don't know. I've done a lot of conferences and retreats, so I don't know what story I'm telling where. Um, but my, maybe my favorite healing of my trip was not necessarily the most impressive, but it was kind of the coolest anyway. Uh, the, uh, the church that was hosting the event in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, um, did a great job inviting a lot of non-believers, unchurched people to come to our healing service, you know, and just sort of say, well, yeah, you might not believe in God, but you kind of believe in miracles, so... <laughs> you know, why don't you show up on the off chance, right? And so uh, there's this one family that were, was ministering to its neighbors. The, the mom uh, was severely uh, struggling with some severe mental illness. She had some severe bipolar. And so the idea was to bring mom to the healing service, which would have been great, of course. Um, they couldn't talk the mom into coming at the last moment, but her little girl, who was eight years old, said, I want to go. <laughs> and so they brought the little girl, and she was sitting right in the front row off to my side. And the little girl was suffering from severe eczema, and like all up and down, you know, we've seen a severe case of eczema, really painful, aggravating, and, you know, on an eight-year-old girl whose life was probably a little bit chaotic, right? And then mom... But she's a, just this great, spunky little girl. And so during the healing time, they, we, had, we had this little three or four minute healing service, like during the uh, kind of a training and encouragement time that I was doing. And while a couple of people were ministering to her in those three minutes, her rash just disappeared right in front of their eyes and it's just cured of the eczema. Yeah. Which is cool, you know, and, and particularly cool when stuff like that happens for an eight year old, right? That, that's particularly cool. Uh, but then I was sort of asking, all right, well, you know, who got, who got touched by the Lord? And she wanted to share the story in front of everyone, this little eight-year-old. And said, 
oh, I had a rash all over my arms and they were praying for me and it disappeared. You know, and she just started weeping during the course of it because her heart was so moved that God would love her so much. This little child, extra, extra cruel. And then, like, I was going to take the mic away from her, but she's like, no, would you pray for my mom? You know, so she went from, like, suffering to being healed to being a testifier to being a minister <laughs> in, like, in, like, 10 minutes, you know, uh, this unchurched 8-year-old. So come on, right? So that's a good story, right? Um, I spoke about the ministry of faith, you know, because where there is faith, mountains can be moved and working the muscle of faith. So let's do some liturgy. Let's do a ritual because we're all about liturgy at Blue Water Mission. We're all about rituals. Uh, Let's do a ritual of declaration and exhortation, shall we? Declaration and encouragement. We just want to minister faith to one another because if you minister faith, then it's pretty easy to minister miracles, as it turns out. Any unchurched eight-year-old can get a miracle if you're ministering in faith, right? Because that's how God has woven together the fibers of the universe, it turns out, because he's after faith in us, which is to say he's after trust. He wants us to trust his nature and goodness. All right, so turn to the person next to you, look them straight in the eye, and say, it's going to be okay. Amp it up if you're feeling it and say, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Now try to get through the awkwardness and get straight to the faith. To actually minister faith to the people sitting next to you. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Like you believe it for them. Because it's always easier to believe it for them than for you. Right? It's going to be great. We can use some of our vernacular. Turn to the person behind you or in front of you and say, the mountain wants to move. The mountain wants to move. Your mountain wants to move. Whatever it is, man, your mountain wants to move. All right. Are you starting to feel it? Some of you, some of you are like, I... I should have gone to a different church, is what some of you are thinking. I know. All right, so that's the declaration portion of our liturgy. Let's move to the exhortation portion of our liturgy. Turn to somebody next to you and, you know, fill in the blank, guys. Faith is, faith is trying. So turn to the, the person next to you and say, try something. Whatever the life situation is, try something. Try something. All right. Good job. Good job. Snaps to you. Snaps to you. That's uh, way too much formal liturgy for me. But, uh, you know, enough with that dry formality. Uh, Let's move on to our warm-up question because clearly you guys aren't warmed up yet. So here's your warm-up question. Think about this. Put your thinking caps on. Massage your your scalp. Stretch your ears. Make some space in there. Um, The question is, if I were today to give you $100 and tell you to gather, to use it to gather someone into the kingdom, what would you do with it? 
I'm going to give you $100 cash, and you're going to have to use it this week, say, to gather someone into the kingdom. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give you eight seconds to be brilliant. You have to spend it to gather someone into the kingdom. $100. All right, who's got an idea? $100 cash. How are you going to use it? Let's hear your brilliance. Yeah, Albert. Barbecue. Why am I not surprised that Albert Joy goes to barbecue? So unpack that a little bit, Al. You're going you're to have a barbecue. You're obviously going to invite friends and... Build community. Get to know them. Find out what they're struggling with and presumably speak into it with faith and, and with promises of God, as we just kind of did for one another. Yeah, I will accept that. Snaps for Al. All right, who else has an idea? $100 cash, people. What you got? Yeah, Mike. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> Payoff, payola. I like that. So you're going to you invite them out to a meal, and there's going to be, you know, whatever, 50 bucks left over, and you're going to say, I will pay you 50 bucks to come to church. <laughs> all right, all right. Got another idea? There's a whole lot going on there. So, so implicit in that story is that some people were tiling your shower. You met them. You had a conversation with them. You feel like, oh, I could even do more. So you're going to give them a $50 tip. Heal somebody's knees because tilers have knee problems. They're on their knees all the time doing their work. And all right, I'll accept that. So just generosity as an excuse to talk and get involved. All right, one more great idea. Amy. Pay off someone's debt. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully their debt does not exceed $100. <laughs> Have you seen my credit card? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can alleviate a bit of, of somebody's financial burden. That's not bad. Anybody got something crazy they want to share? Yeah, Aaron. Buy some warm food for somebody who's hungry. It's on this one. And, and, and then say what? And then, and then pray for them. A little grace over the meal and a little prayer blessing for them. Sure. All right. That's good. Yeah. Another indication that our youth group is just, just going to pot. Just, just. Who else? John's got one. All right, so that's out of uh, this. Okay, now we're getting somewhere here. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to set up a psychic booth. Well, maybe call it like a word from... Maybe we won't call it a psychic booth. Yeah. Maybe we'll call it a... <laughs> the universe speaks. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. 
So you're gonna, they're going to come, and instead of like $10 for a palm reading or something, we're going to be, we will give you $10 if you let us pray and prophesy for you. That's brilliant. You pretty much have to do that now, right? We, we will take a collection. Well, if we take a collection and give John $100 to make him do that, is that, is that worth it? All right. So, we got to get the offering buckets back. I don't have $100 cash. It's lean time. So, we can, we, if everybody gives a buck, we can do this and make a booth. Make him a little beanie? Oh, like a turban. Like, yeah, with a little jewel right, right in the middle. Yeah, sure, because that's not racist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, I like it. I like it. Okay, consider yourselves warmed up. You guys are doing great. What I what I wanted to do is just uh, get everybody's creative juices flowing. Like you know, when you have an excuse and you put your mind to something, um, you often come up with really creative ideas. And I, I put it in terms of cash because cash is oddly motivating for human beings. You know, and it kind of it. We think of being enslaved to it a lot of times, but often it, it sort of unlocks us. Uh, I, I uh, had this experience years ago. Um, when I left academia, I had an academic career for a while. I was working at this think tank in the Ivy Leagues, and, um, and it just wasn't working out. So I left that, and um, the first job I got out, I just needed to find a job. I was like, all right, I got to transition life. What am I going to do? And I had a friend who had this software startup company. And so I, uh, I had in a years, years earlier, I had briefly worked for uh, a big software company, Oracle. And uh, I had learned a little bit of programming in their language. It's called SQL. And um, uh, and in, in a way, this kind of suited me to work for this software startup, and we were friends. He's like, well, why don't you come? You learn the rest of it, and you can help us uh, program relational databases. Super fun and romantic, right? Um, so I got out of the company, and they had like one client uh, at the time, but that contract was running out, and it occurred to me that, well, somebody better sell another contract. And so I just started asking questions. How is this business going to survive? And they were like, ah, we got some sort of possibilities. But, but I diagnosed that nobody really knew. And so I put my thinking camp on, and I said, well, why don't we try this? Why don't we try the other thing? Long story short, I became the guy in charge of marketing for this software company. And we got a few more contracts, got a little deeper. Uh, the company got a, a little bigger. And uh, because it was still small, most of the people working for that company were friends of mine. You know, some from my church, and, and it was you know, a very relational place to work. And now I felt really responsible, because if I didn't market well, my friends would be out of a living, you know? And as the company grew, uh, our obligations became greater, and the pressure on me higher. And I started trying to sell bigger contracts to competing with the big boys, right? I should say that the whole time I was doing this, I hated this job, because I do not like the computer software business. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not where I live. 
it was an accidental stopgap job, and now I'm, I'm essentially running the business side of, of this company. And I realized, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm not an engineer. I know a little bit of software. I started asking questions, started investigating, and, and without going into detail, I kind of invented a new way to pitch relational database-backed software applications. This is when e-commerce was first getting big online and stuff like that. And so I would go in and compete with the big boys and they would have their staff and suits and their normal way of doing it. And I would go in with a packet and I would pitch something in a completely different way. And we won a few contracts. One night I was pulling an all-nighter preparing a proposal for a corporate pitch and I realized that I was being more creative at this stupid job that I hated than I had ever been in ministry. Right? That I was selling software with more energy and cleverness and shrewdness than I had ever sold the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I n never really gathered someone into the kingdom with the same breadth of effort that I was using to sell a stupid piece of software. And so I was convicted. I was convicted. Um, the story goes that a little while later, 9-11 happened, and all of our contracts in New York got destroyed, and, and uh, I uh, felt super responsible for the company. And, and, and in a subsequent all-nighter, when I was sitting in the office with my, my head down um, in, ang in anxiety, the Lord spoke to me and said, well, from now on, you work for me. You're not going to work here. I, within three months, I was out of that job. And, I uh, have not held a regular job since. Just, just your regular jobs. Let's read a passage from Luke chapter 16. This is the parable of the shrewd manager. Do you know it? Really offensive parable. We'll read it and you can understand why in a second. This is a parable that Jesus told to describe what life in the kingdom of God is like goes like this. Jesus told his disciples. So he's speaking to followers, right? He's speaking to people that are kind of already in. Um, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager, this would be like his money manager, his business manager. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he's managing the rich guy's resources, but he's doing a wasteful job of it. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Let's close the book outs, buddy. Close the books out. You're fired. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he comes up with his own unemployment plan. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. These are people who owe his master money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, 
How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. I'm going to read that again. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So presumably, win friends for yourselves and win them to the kingdom so that they'll be there in eternity. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. There's a conceptual flip there that we'll talk about in a minute because on the one hand, the manager commend, excuse me, the rich guy commends his manager for being dishonest. And then he says, well, if you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. If you're honest with much, you'll be on, honest with little, you'll be honest with much. So what's going on there at the end? We'll get there. Use your money to buy friends. So if you came in, sat here this morning, and my opening question was, is it righteous to buy friends? What would you say to me? <laughs> well, now, <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say yes. But, but it sounds really crass, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Using money to buy friends. That's not legitimate. That's not legitimate at all. What if I asked it this way? What better use is there for money than buying eternal relationships? Okay, now, see, it's all in the framing, isn't it? It's all in the framing. So there's a, there's a provocation in this parable. Jesus knows what he's doing. A lot of his parables are provocative like that. But it's offensive, right? What you expect is for this religious leader, this Jesus dude, this traveling rabbi, to tell this story and said, oh, well, the manager was going to get fired, so what he did is that he went to his master's debtors and he slashed their debts uh, so that they would owe him something. He robbed his master further. That guy should be thrown into prison. But instead, what Jesus says, this manager cheated his master in such a way that is commendable and his master actually liked it. You know, kind of begs the question, why did the master like what the manager did? Because the manager just cost him more money. Why did the manager like it? He got some of the debt back, right? It's like a collection agency. You at least get a dime on the dollar. That's better than nothing. That could be it. But Jesus goes on to kind of commend this sort of shrewdness. Yeah, dude. Made, made the rich man look generous. The public relations campaign was decent, right? So, yeah. Jesus goes on to commend this guy's shrewdness, which means cleverness, his, right? And his dishonesty, so to speak. And then he says, uh, the people of the world are better at working with their kind than the people of light are at working with people generally. 
Um, I, if I were the master and my manager did this, I might say to him, you're the kind of guy I can use in this corporation. You're thinking outside the box, right? You're the kind of guy that would set up an anti-psychic booth <laughs> and, and pay people to get to listen to your prophetic words for them, right? It's like, that's the kind of creativity that I can leverage around here, right? Even if that's going to cost us money, I think somehow in the end you'll figure out how to turn it into gain because that's what cleverness always does. You get it? So it's kind of like you're the kind of guy I can use, right? I have to, I have to harness that sort of cleverness for good instead of harnessing that sort of cleverness for shallowness, right? You like creative people. You like outside-the-box, hard-working people. You like manipulative people. If they use their powers for good, right, to get people to a healthy and clarifying place instead of manipulating them into an unhealthy, confused place. Right? Are you following me? Jesus is commending cleverness. Uh, that's what's going on. He's asking his disciples, remember he's talking to his disciples here, to unleash their cleverness. And that's what he wants to do for you. God wants to unleash your cleverness in life. That was my conviction when I was working for that software company. It's like, I am nowhere near this clever in the things that count most. Ugh. You know, I work harder at getting a paycheck than I work at eternal purposes. Now that makes no sense, but almost all of us do it. Almost all of us do it. We give away our best uh, at things that just kind of help us get by, and then we drag our butts into church on Sunday maybe, and, and uh, you know, you need to receive, you need to get your tank filled, of course, but you know, the point of this is to sort of encourage you to be a minister throughout the week and to unleash your creativity there. You get the idea, right? Yeah. Why in the world would we be less clever, less focused, less obsessed with gathering people into the kingdom than we are at making a buck? It makes no sense because our earthly treasures are going to burn. Yeah, it makes no sense, but sometimes we need to be shocked by an offensive parable in order to see it. <laughs> and I appreciate Jesus for that. He says, people of this world are more shrewd than people of the light. Nah. You guys are more shrewd. Look at you. You're devious. Right now, I can see the gears turning. Yeah, I wouldn't play poker with you. You may be bad at it, but you cheat, wouldn't you? I like that. I like that in a church. I like that in my Christian friends. You're the kind of friends I want on my side, right? I don't want those namby-pamby, sit-on-your-butt, wait-for-God-to-deliver-you sort of Christians. No. I want, I want you. I want the clever sorts, right? And that's kind of, that's kind of what, what Jesus is, is saying. This last line in the parable promises increasing influence for faithful people. Um, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So it sounds like, it sounds like what Jesus is saying here at the end is, I want you to be honest, right? Because if you can be honest with little, then you're going to get much. God is going to give you much. But what kind of honesty is he, is he talking about? I think what he's talking about is an honest effort, right? So in your kingdom life and your ministry life, as you influence your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, make an honest effort, the same sort of effort that you would make on, say, the term paper, uh, you're writing if you want an A, or the same sort of honest effort you'd make to get that promotion at work, or the same sort of honest effort that you'd make to get a better job, or the same 40 hours a week of honest effort that you put in for whatever your paycheck is. Just make that kind of effort at your eternal work. Amen. Right? And if you can make an honest effort there, I will give you more and more influence in it. I will increase your spheres of influence, your eternal influence, right? So that's the kind of honesty, dishonesty he's talking about, right? If you need to cheat in order to get someone into the kingdom, well, cheat. If you know what I'm saying, right? Break the rules. Go outside the box. Be inventive. Use cold, hard cash to bribe them to come to church with you. There's nothing wrong with that. The greater evil is sitting on your hands doing nothing. Because that gets no one anywhere. That does not get you ahead. Right? That's the parable of the, of the, uh, the shrewd manager. Sometimes, in some translation, it's called the parable of the unrighteous steward. In some translations of the Bible, translators have found this so offensive that they have purposely mistranslated it. So at the end says, do not use your money to buy friends. That's ridiculous. Um, but all the honest translators are like, no, this is just offensive. Classic Jesus. Classic outside the box Jesus. Make an honest effort at kingdom gathering as if your living depended on it. Because certainly somebody else's life depends on it. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. I'm a, um, you've heard me say that I'm, I'm building a sailboat right now, this kind of ridiculous high-tech sailboat that is way beyond my means and started out being way beyond my knowledge. I just kind of felt convicted, like, oh, yeah, it's time for me to have a sailboat. I grew up sailing and stuff, but I had no money for it. So, um, so I had to, like, design a lot of it. I had to teach myself to do a lot of nautical engineering. Uh, I found this builder, partnered with him. We've, we've hacked the uh, fiberglass epoxy construction process. I could tell you stuff about that that I didn't even know three years ago. Um, I've become an expert in global purchasing methods, gotten stuff shipped from obscure factories in China and Sri Lanka and places like this in order to buy my materials at 80% discounts so that I could afford this stuff. And I've ended up kind of building a boat company that now involves people in the Midwest and New England and Latin America and Europe uh, at this point. Um, plus, I'm writing about it. I just published this article in the world's biggest sailing magazine and, uh, uh, because it's such an interesting story. And if you have a boat company, you want to publicize things a little bit. All of this because I just wanted a boat. 
It's stupid. <laughs> but it's the sort of situation I get into like all the time. And the way my life works is like, if you want this, I'm gonna have, you're going to have to use all of your creativity and cleverness. Like, this is just the Lord's relentless discipleship of me. And, and you know, and I know it's stupid, but I'm using it to kind of convict me. It's like, well, what if you work this hard at bringing people to faith? You know? What if you work this hard at running a Holy Spirit retreat? And uh, what if, you know, I, I could go on. You get the idea because I'm just trying to float a boat. I was just trying to run a software company. But what I'm really trying to do is seek first the kingdom. What I'm really trying to do is gather people into faith and, and, and to get them into the life of obedience to Christ wherein they can move mountains. They can change the world because we're all designed to be children of God, are we not? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And woe to me if I don't teach people what I know to be true. It's like you're not supposed to live a life where all of your best bits are spent at mundane things. You're supposed to live a life in which you are a transcendent, eternal influence in the universe. That's just extraordinary, but I guess that's what it means to be children of God. You know, and when you turn to someone and you say, it's gonna be great, the mountain wants to move, Try something. You are preaching a sermon that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago. Only he added things like, cheat. <laughs> like, Seriously, whatever it takes. I think you can do it. I see it behind your eyes. You're twisted enough to make this work. You know, that's you. Use that. Use that. You know? And, and that's, that's your calling. I would like to pray. We did a lot of impartation this week, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit just met a lot of people in just a whole bunch of creative ways. That's the thing about him. He's also creative and clever and, and never comes at you in exactly the, the way that you think he will. But, you know, he imparted a lot of gifts and a lot of power and a lot of freedom to a lot of people even in our midst, and I've seen him do it quite a bit this month. I would like to just pray to impart cleverness. Just good, old-fashioned cleverness. Um, so if you want a little holy deviousness in your brain, stand up for a second. We just want to pray for you. Well, either we're in trouble or the world is in trouble. I'm not really sure how this is going to go. But uh, I don't know. Go ahead and politely put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. and Because well, evidently we're all in this together. Well, Holy Spirit, uh, please come and stir us up in the best of our gifts for the best of their use. In the name of Christ, brothers and sisters, I release creativity and cleverness to this bunch of dubious disciples. In the name of Jesus, I bless you with enlightenment in your mind to think outside the box, to seek first the kingdom so that everything else can be added to you in a due and just way. In the name of Jesus, be expanded in your thinking. In the name of Jesus... The screens fall. Yes. 
you see things differently. The land looks different to you now. In Jesus' name, you are inventors, one and all. In Jesus' name, you are inventors, one and all. I bless you with new ideas for provision. I bless you with new ideas for plenty. I bless you with new ideas for targeting people who need to be targeted with love and grace and the generosity of God. In the name of Christ, as Paul wrote, be enlightened in the eyes of your mind. See anew. See differently. Be shrewd, brothers and sisters, because the world needs us to outthink them and to outhustle them and to outtry them. And I release that to Blue Water Mission in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give him more, Lord. Give him more, Lord. Give him more, Lord. More, Lord. Increase. And I release to you creativity even in your flesh. Uh, In the name of Christ, I release healing to your bodies. We've seen so many healings. Just take that refreshment now. Save us some time. Right? Be blessed. The hands of your brothers and sisters are already there to impart it to you. Be relieved right there, right on the spot. Feel that power. Feel that heat. Feel that truth. Don't live according to the false. Live according to the true. Receive truth in your flesh, in your bones, in your chemistry. Receive truth, truth, and be good with it. Be good with it. Yeah? Yeah? Because it's crazy to be clever. It's, right, you get into a lot of interesting situations when you're actually committed to creativity. When you're actually committed to be creative as God is creative. This was the guy that spoke things into being with words, who went from an idea to a manifestation in an instant. That's you. Faith is trying. In Jesus' name be filled. Amen. Amen. Amen.